Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. Good afternoon. I'm <laughs> oh, so excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple. A very warm welcome to another episode of our podcast, which is all about words and language, and is presented by me, Giles Brandreth, and my very good friend, Susie Dent. How are you, Susie? Hello, I'm very well, and I'm particularly happy to be sitting in our, well, they're quite worn in now, these armchairs in the Fortune Theatre in London. We're back for another live show. This is a live show. We're on a purple set. Purple carpet, purple chairs, and purple people in the audience. Not all of them purple people. Those of you who aren't purple people, we call purple people the people who listen regularly to the podcast. So if you're new to the podcast, and we've now done 200 of these podcasts, if you're new to the show, essentially what happens is we take a particular subject, explore it, and then we invite the audience at home, our purple people, to either email us, or in this case, that we are alive, to have a conversation with us about words they want to talk about. My favourite bit. And then later we we play a game, a slightly different version of Susie's Trio. And I'm thinking of a, trying. I want to do an amusing poem today, I've decided. Because I usually end up with a little poem from me. Speaking of games, you and I are both board games enthusiasts. And our subject, our theme today is property, but not in the monopoly sense. But I have to talk about monopoly because I've known you for however many years, as as you mentioned to our audience. I had no idea you were once, is it European monopoly champion? Thank you. It's incredible it's, and uh, slightly dweebish. Indeed, my, my wife is thinking that on my memorial stone uh, in the graveyard, it should say... <coughs> do not pass Don't go. pass go, yes, yes. do not pass go. <laughs> yes, I became the European Monopoly champion about 50 years ago. Wow. And uh, one day the telephone rang in the flat where I was living with my then girlfriend, but now wife, and it rang, the phone rang, and I asked it, and the fellow said, would you like to play a game of Monopoly? And I said, no, no, Scrabble is my game, the European Monopoly champion, but Scrabble is really my game, and I'm the founder of the National Scrabble. And they said, no, no, we're going to talk about Monopoly. That was the ultimate humble brag, if I may say so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, carry on. <laughs> uh, so they said, there is a fee involved. I said, oh, oh, oh. 
oh, well, I, I'm, I'm interested. And where's this to be played? They, I, I said, well, I said, is the date, what is the date? And they took me the date. And I was free. I said, I would go. So they said, we'll send you the tickets. I said, tickets? I, I'll put it with my invoice. I'll add the price. And they said, no, no, you'll need tickets. It's in New York. And I flew as the European Monopoly champion to New York to take part in the World Monopoly Championships. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And I came third, maddening. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Not bad, but it wasn't first. Ex <laughs> because they played, uh, Monopoly is a game, as you will know, invented in the 1930s at the time of the Depression by an American. It's an American game. It was sent set originally in Atlantic City, uh, and all the, on the original Monopoly board, it's all Atlantic City streets. Uh, do you remember what it was called? It was called Monopoly. Apparently it was called the Landlord's Game. Ah, good. Anyway, eventually, because we were playing, I, I was ridiculous. I, I did a lot of gamesmanship while we were playing, saying, oh, I don't understand this board. I'm used to playing in London. We play in London. We play with pounds. What are these dollars? And all that. And I was saying, well, I, I need a cup of tea and sort of waving my pinky. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Embarrassing. To the extent that the person who came second uh, would not accept his prize. With, because with me he was so this, annoyed by you. Yeah, because he said, I want a price for this, this twerp. And, you know, he just went we off. Didn't talk about twerp. And the person who won wouldn't accept the prize either because he was overwhelmed by the honour of becoming the world monopoly champion. <laughs> so <laughs> you were the one who stood up. wouldn't emerge from his hotel room until his mother was flown in from Dayton, oh, Ohio. As a no. consequence, ladies and gentlemen, I was by default as European Monopoly champion, crowned World Monopoly champion. Yay! Thank you. And it was Can thus... I just remind you of the etymology of twerp? Oh, yes, do tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me down to ground. I'm so sorry. Uh, you did mention the word. I'm not calling you one. But there was... I just reminded myself of this. There was... Do you remember somebody called T.W. Earp who went to Exeter College in Oxford... T.W. Earp, and apparently he got up to all sorts of ridiculous exploits, and so we think twerp comes from him. It can't Isn't that be. incredible? A it's named after a person. Yeah, T.W. That's called a what? Nim? Uh, eponym. Eponym, when yeah. it's named after. Twerp yeah. is an eponym we for think... a person whose initials were T.W. T.W. Earp. And was he a descendant of Wyatt Earp, do you think? Oh, I don't know, but it's spelled the same way. Thomas Wyatt Earp, yeah. possibly. Anyway. The English descendant. So, our theme today is going to be property. Property, but not property in the monopolies. That's at least not quite. And property itself goes back to a Latin word. Uh, proprius meaning one's own, what, something that belongs to you and that ah, is special. As in amour propre, belonging to me, propre. Yes, amour propre. My own. So, then we have landlord, obviously lord of the land, looking back to feudal times. We have rent. Well, first of all, tell me, if you moved a lot in the course of your lifetime, I think you probably have. Not as much as many people. Okay. It's interesting. We in this country feel we have to own where we live. I know. Not like Europeans at all. N not like Europeans. Not like my parents. My parents lived in rented flats. Yeah. Sometimes rented houses, but mostly rented flats in different parts of London. Yeah. Earl's Court, South Kent, Gloucester Road, those sorts of parts of London. And that's what they did. But my wife said, we have to, you have to buy something. That was mm -hmm. her family's tradition. So when we were going to live together, I thought we'd live in Baker Street, where, because that's where my parents lived. We'd get a flat in Baker Street. And my wife said, it's ridiculous. You can't afford to rent a flat in Baker Street. It's ridiculous. I said, well, that's what my parents do. She said, no, it's ridiculous. We will go somewhere else. 
and rent a cheap flat, which we did for five pounds a week. It rather, does rather date the story. Mm. But it is, That's almost a peppercorn rent. In those days, that was quite a lot of money, believe it or not. I'm talking yeah, going I'm back sure. 55 years. Yeah. Five pounds a week. And what you used to do, if you wanted to rent a flat in London, you'd get the first edition of the Evening Standard about 10 o'clock in the morning. And it was this is before email and there was no websites or anything. There was just the newspaper. And you would go to properties to rent. And it was done by price. Mm. So you go to, if you could afford £5, £10, £15 a week, you would go to the £5 properties. So we managed to get 11 the close, Muswell Avenue, N10 for £5 a week. And we were so happy. And you were renting. We were renting. So renting, do you know where that... Comes where does renting come from? So many of these came from the Normans and their sort of fight, because finance also goes back to the Normans with fin, meaning the end or a completion is in finances and fine and finish and all sorts, definitely. Anyway, rendre means to hand over in French. So rent was handing over some money, essentially. And if you were a tenant, that also is from French, tenir, meaning to hold. So you were sort of holding a spot, if you like, or occupying it. And what was the first flat or house that you rented or bought? I almost, the very first one I finished studying in America was in Soho, actually, in Broadwick Street. And I was in a fair rented Westminster Council, gorgeous, three-story flat that looked out onto Berwick Street Market. I you was were so, so lucky. happy there, And it was you? very cheap. I loved it. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. So you lived very in, you're lucky. a Soho girl. I'm a Soho girl. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. And you rented, how, can you remember how much the rent was? Um, I honestly can't. Hundreds, though. It wouldn't have been thousands, which it would be now. Good grief. Yeah. Well, I'm shocked by that, because I know nothing. We then bought, so my wife said, we'll save. And then we had enough to get a mortgage. And then we bought a flat Mm. in Baker Street. And then we bought a house in Camden Hill Gardens near Notting Hill. And then we bought another house in Barnes. And where we have lived for 36 years. Which is beautiful. Which is, well, it's a nice part of the world. You have a flagpole. You're the only person I know who has a flagpole in the house. It well, reminds me of that Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Is it Chitty Chitty Bang Bang there? What is it? It's, uh, oh, I have Mary an idea Poppins. that I can run Mary it up Poppins. the flagpole and see if my wife salutes. She doesn't often. So you, anyway. But you own property now. You now are somebody well, who buys. Well, I have a mortgage. Yes, mortgage. mortgage. Remember, where does the word remember mortgage that comes from? from? Well, a lot of people think it's linked to mortuary, which it is. It's got death in it, and not because it kills you to pay it off, but because the debt is dead when it's paid off. It's very strange, but yeah, mortuary and mortgage are, are linked. And when we, ha- when we had the flat in Baker Street, we had yeah. it on a long lease. Where, where does the word lease come from? That's French as well. So from the French laisser, meaning to let or leave. And of course, if you are advertising a house to rent, you say to let, which is literally giving someone permission, giving leave for someone else to live there. Is there a reason why so many of these words come from a French heritage? Mm. Often when we're talking, it's a German heritage. But all yeah. of these that we've mentioned so far seem to be French. Yeah, it's the what influence the of the Normans and obviously that percolated through a lot of different centuries. So when the Normans came over, we struggled with their French. So we came up with this hybrid called Anglo-Norman, which was a bit of French, a bit of English, kind of twisted words to make them more familiar to our tongue. And for centuries, the language of finance, of law, of the sort of so-called educated subjects were heavily influenced by French because it was the language of the nobility and the aristocracy and the the people who were considered to be top class and educated. So that's why. (laughs) The word let 
is a word that has so many different uses, doesn't it? It does. And actually, I did look up, and I think I made a note of this, how many entries, yes, how many entries it has in the OED. So it's quite prolific, and I use the Oxford English Dictionary online, so I'm looking at its virtual pages. But 28 big senses, and within each sense you've got five or six sub-senses often. But set is the longest, the longest word, if you like, or the word with the longest entry in the OED. That's S-E-T. 100, S-E-T, 128. Different ways you can use no, them. No, 154. Sorry. So let is 28, 154 senses. And what does that mean of different definitions, different ways yes. of using the word? Yes, different meanings, essentially. Uh, and then that's not to mention all the different like phrasal verbs that you have, you know, to let up, let go, let on, let in, or set up, set off, set in, set out, all of those things. So, you know, we're, we're talking about incredibly versatile words and often quite annoying because particularly if you're a non-native speaker, how can you know? Very good. We're talking about flats to begin with. Where does the word flat yes. come from? Yes. So flat goes back to the Vikings, you had a very similar word and... But did they have flats in those days? No, they didn't have flats. But for them, it meant smooth and even. And I think what we're talking about really is, is just a one single story building. Oh, so that why it's flat, because it's yeah. on the flat. It's on the flat or it's just, it doesn't go up. It doesn't have a set of stairs. They don't have flats in America, do they? They have apartments. They have apartments. Why don't they have flats? I don't know. Because we deliberately have two very different languages. Deliberately? Well, the War of you won't remember the War of Independence. But, <laughs> but, but rest assured, when we get to the Crimean War, I've <laughs> got some very good stories about me and Lord Raglan. Oh, so uh, both nations wanted to have a language that was true to their identity. Obviously, there's a lot of enmity involved. Reject For the Americans, rejecting the king's English was the same as rejecting the king. It was a big drive to make them as, as distinct as possible. And a word like apartment comes mm. from being apart. Yeah, French, French as well. Yeah, à part. So it was a private dwelling. That was the idea. It said it was originally something that was private and set aside, set apart from public areas. So we had a flat, then yeah. we had another flat, then we had a house. Now, yes. where does house come from? That is Germanic. Uh-huh. Um, so house, you still have das house. Oh, it's because maison is the French for it house. Is. Yes. And that gives you maisonette. Maisonette, a little house. And maybe does that give you mansion? Mansion is related to manse and that is definitely Latin. And I'm going to look it up because I've never lived in a mansion. Well, the flats that we lived in were called mansion blocks. Uh, they were oh, yeah. Victorian or Edwardian mansion blocks. The ones in Baker Street are quite impressive. They are impressive. Um, did you ever live in a, in a penthouse? No, I've no. never lived in okay. a penthouse. Though I once appeared in the magazine of that name. <laughs> in younger and happier days. Uh, so I should have guessed this. Manare in Latin, meaning simply to stay, which gave us remain as well. So it's somewhere where you stay, which doesn't quite give you the grandeur of it, does it? But the Anglo-Norman version was mansion, mm-hmm. meaning dwelling or abode. And I guess because it was French, it meant something, you know, where, where the noble people lived. A bungalow is a word that isn't French mm-hmm. or German in origin. I think it's Indian. Am I right? Absolutely right. It means done in the manner of houses in Bengal. Gosh, it's a Bengal-style house. It's a bungalow. Yes, exactly, because they had the single-storey houses. And penthouse, just to go back to those, it goes back to the Latin pentis, meaning sort of lean. It's almost like a lean-to. I mean, a penthouse is now very swish, isn't it? But it was something that was attached 
really, or stuck on to another building or another apartment. So it was originally, you know, like a shed or a garage and then moved up in, in the world. Where was your first house? House, house. Oxford, and then rented there. Yeah, you rented there? I did, yeah. Do you feel different renting and owning? No, no. If I lived in Germany, which was always my plan, I'd be renting happily. That was your plan, your Hmm. ambition to life was to live in Germany. I always wanted to live in Germany, yes. Berlin was where I wanted to live and then various places. And then I went to America and wanted to live there. And then, yeah. Why didn't you do that? I don't know. Well... Uh, visa was the main <laughs> main reason for America. I didn't you mean your, your card, your visa card, they'd cut it up. Yeah. You'd spent too much. No, you I couldn't get a visa. Well, once my student visa expired, I had to get a job within however many months. And I didn't, I came home. From Germany or from America? From America. This Why didn't you America. live in, you could live in Germany now, couldn't you? I could They'd do. Take you. I could do. Why don't, if yeah, that maybe was your I will. Life's... Maybe I do sometimes have that found V. Remember that longing to be far away. Maybe that's going to that be What's that word? Me. Found V. Oh, it's just beautiful. Fan V. So it means far sickness. So instead of homesickness, it's far sickness where you just yearn to be somewhere else. Gosh, don't we all feel that? Not now. I mean, obviously. But yeah. Okay, give me some more words to do with property. Okay. So we've done much. What about palace? You ever lived in a palace? Well, you've written about palaces, obviously, a lot. Very strange. I've written a biography of the late Queen. And how curious it must be to be someone who have so many houses, you know, that you yeah. have literally, you know, Buckingham Palace, you have Windsor Castle, you have the Queen. You always used to complain about Windsor Castle, you know, so thoughtless to build it so near the airport. Um, <laughs> wasn't it her favourite residence, that, though? That wasn't, that wasn't one of her jokes. It was another. But how strange to be somebody who has palaces to live in. Uh, so there's Balmoral, there's Sandringham, there all these extraordinary yeah. places. And I wouldn't want to be moving around like that from one palace to the next. Oh, I wouldn't mind. Oh, you wouldn't mind? <laughs> I don't think so. No, I think you wouldn't like it at all because also they're so huge, you have to have staff there to help you yes, to run the thing so that okay. you're never really alone. I also wrote a biography of Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. And that's how I came to meet the Queen, really. And that's what led to my writing the book about the Queen. And he, towards the end of his life, when he retired, age 97, I think the Queen felt, actually, you've done your bit. Yeah. You're clearly ready to not do as much. So feel free just to relax for a while. Do it your own way. Do your own thing. And the Duke of Edinburgh basically gave himself, set up a kind of a smallish house on the Sandringham Estate, where a small family farmhouse where he lived. And then during one of the lockdowns, the Queen moved in there with him. Oh. And towards the end of their, their last, as it were, time, proper length of time together, before his death and then hers, was in this farmhouse together, like a normal uh, a home the size with of... With no staff. Yes, they still had people helping them, uh, but not all the time. So that it was really like being at home in a real home. How lovely. Which is interesting. Yeah. So I don't think a palace is necessarily... No, you're probably right. Anyway, going after. back to its origins, goes back to the Roman emperors who would build their chief residences on the Palatine Hills in uh, ancient Rome. So it goes back to Palatine. And a paladin also is, who a noble knight, is kind of related to that, really. What about a palaquin? Oh, what's a palaquin? I think a palaquin is four big hulky guys carrying two long sticks on which is a kind of dais. Ah, 
Palanquin. Palanquin. Isn't that a palanquin? Palanquin. But yeah. Oh, fine. Palanquin, it turns out to be. You didn't have the first idea what it was. I still don't. I still don't. No, you're absolutely right. Spell it out and share with the world. A covered conveyance, usually for one person, consisting of a large box carried on two horizontal poles. That's what they're called. A palanquin. And it goes back to a Latin word meaning to carry a burden. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. No idea about that at all. Yes, it's a palanquin. That. Is that yeah. the word? A palanquin. A palanquin. Would you like to be carried around on a palanquin with no. people cheering? No. Would you? Yes. No, I don't know. I think you could be the, the Meghan Markle of words. <laughs> oh, controversial. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. I'd we love, love everybody be. here. I would love to be the Meghan Markle of words. So, yes, thank you. Uh, wear the leggings, I'll do the yeah. whole thing. And if you are the Meghan Markle of words, I'm certainly the Prince Harry. I adore you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I haven't yet got a note saying get off, but I think it's imminent. Oh, have we done all the words we possibly could? You haven't given me tenement. Oh, tenement. From the same idea as tenant, it means to hold. But, of course, if you go to New York, you get tenement buildings, often the sort of ones that are quite... Yeah, I uh, think of tenement down. as being down a bit down. Yeah. Weren't always. It was simply a building that had lots of different apartments or flats in. Very Absolutely. Good. Any other word words? Oh, villa. I'll tell you about a villa. Oh, yeah. Tell um, me about villa. So the reason I find villa quite interesting, because obviously you will find villa in lots of different languages. Um, in French, you'll find Latin, a villa was a country house, is that villain comes from a villa because the original villain was somebody who worked as a servant, essentially, in a big country house. For a a villa- big- is that a villain? Is that how you- it was also spelt villain with the E-I instead of the A-I. But essentially, because they were seen as being menial and working class, and this happened so often, they got all sorts of associations of being disreputable and probably on the take, completely unfairly. And someone attached was thought to be a bit of a scoundrel attached to a villa. And so we get villain from it. Strange, yeah. isn't it? It is strange. And very classist. I wish I had a villa. I know you don't have a villa. Uh, I don't have a villa. But you do have a flagpole. What I have? <laughs> I do. I've got a flagpole. You're, you're right, I have got a flagpole. You have? I have got, I have got yes, a flagpole. Yes, it's huge. It, uh, thank you. <laughs> I think it's time to take a break. Thank you. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. It is time to go to my trio. If you're listening at home, yes. this is part of the podcast where normally Susie just gives us three interesting words yes. that she has come across that she thinks we would enjoy hearing about. But yes. today you're doing it slightly differently as you do at the live podcast. Explain the rules. Yes, so the rules are I give a word or expression and I will later tell you the proper definition, the actual definition of this word or expression, but we have asked our lovely audience to come up with their own supposed definition. So it's just 
fun. It was a bit like, I'm sorry I haven't a clue. Yeah. This, is, this is my homage to them or homage. Right. The first one was Fimble Famble. Fimble? A Fimble Famble. Spelled F-I-M. F-I-M, yeah. Fimble Famble. Yes. And what definitions have we been given? Okay, so Hugo in Essex says, this is the prodigal Teletubby. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Andrew in Marlowe says that a Fimble Famble is getting frisky in the morning when you'd have much time. <laughs> a Fimble Famble Fumble. And then, oh, I like this that. is similar, Jan in Eastbourne says it's foreplay for seniors. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, you oh, have I, to decide on these. Oh, I know. Oh, that's too near the knuckle to be funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, if it were Thimble Famble. Anyway, let's move on. Okay, are you going to choose before I give you the real definition? Well, I think, because we only got one prize, haven't we? We don't have any prizes, because oh, Andrew forgot. We have no forgot. prize. <laughs> Andrew There's forgot. the honour of winning. Well, of those three, I have to say all of them are very good, but I think getting frisky in the morning when you don't have much time okay. is rather clever. It's a fimble so fumble. That's my winner. What is the real definition? The real definition is a very lame excuse. Ah. Don't give me that fimble fumble. Well, I mean, that yeah. actually chimes with foreplay for seniors, doesn't it? <laughs> That is well, true. Now, darling, that was a very lame excuse. <laughs> <laughs> On we go. Okay. Um, the next one oh, is it's a so Nixie. like being at one of my relate meetings here. Oh. <laughs> What's next? Nixie. N-I-X-I-E. N-I-X-I-E. And yes. what are the definitions? The okay, so Jane Seddon in London says, a person who takes great pleasure in declining to take part in anything fun. A Nixie. Oh, there Very are clever. such people, aren't there? Yes. A Nixie. Whatever you suggest, have a jolly while. They manage to lower the yes. temperature, lower the mood. Yes. Oh, yes, a Nixie. Yes. Mm. Brilliant. Absolutely. Okay, or we have Claire, who lives in Clapham, but is hoping to move to Barnes. Yes. Um, <laughs> You'll get a, a better height of flagpole in Barnes. Claire says that a Nixie is a naughty knitting game originating from the Deep South. So instead of Dixieland, maybe Nixieland. Oh, I see. Clever. Very clever. And then Ruby from Essex, when you know a pixie is sitting next to you, but you can't prove it, but you still know she's there. <laughs> that's very Well, clever that's too. charming. I love the fantasy world that uh, Ruby lives in, but I think the winner has to be, because it's a really useful word, a Nixie is a person who takes great pleasure in declining to take part in anything fun. Yes. Well done, Jane Seddon. I agree. That really, a I round of applause for Jane. That could take hold, good. actually. We need that, don't we? So what, is that a real definition? Yes, a Nixie is a letter so badly addressed it can't be delivered. Oh, mm. is that a word used then by people in the post office? I don't know if they still use it. It was definitely recorded in quite a few dictionaries, um, English dialect dictionary, for example. So we, we're talking about 100 years ago. Wouldn't it be lovely if it was still, That's still used? Well, nowadays, it's it really, I mean, since none of the letters are now delivered. That's um, <laughs> true. It, no, no, they are, They're particularly in Barnes, uh, rest assured. Okay, what's the next one? Okay, so regular listeners to Something Rhymes With Purple will absolutely recognise this expression because we have talked about it before. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I love it, so I brought it back. Disco rice. Disco rice, Dave Imbudley, again, says the small hole punch excretions from a dance ticket in the 1980s. The right, okay, I quite like oh. that. That's almost like the, aren't they called chads? The dimpled bits that you push through. Do you remember when we had the... Uh, when there was an election, election in America and there was the tattered, yeah. the tattered chads. The chads. Anyway, that's a nice one. Clever, um, Dave. Clever. 
Yeah, Michael and Paul in St. John's Wood say that disco rice is high-carb food before going out on a big and long night on the tiles. I love that. I like that too. And Lawrence in London says... Sex on the dance floor. <laughs> I get the rice bit. Maybe I shouldn't go that. Let's not go that. that. Um, but yeah, uh, so well, I think the choose? winner yeah. is going to be uh, torn between all of them. But the high carb food before going out for a big yes. and long night on the tiles. Yes, I need my disco rice. Yeah. So a round of applause there for Michael and Paul in St John's Wood. Is that a real definition? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's ingenious. So if you go to talk to a group of refuse collectors, uh, dustmen, dustwomen, you will find out that disco rice is their speaker for maggots. Oh. Because they are moving all the time. Ooh. It's very clever. They look like rice and they're doing that squiggly thing. The world of words is quite wonderful. It is. We've had a wonderful audience here. Before the lights go completely down, I love short poems that go to the heart of matter. And this one, for me, goes alarmingly to the heart of matter. Now I'm the age that I am. I first heard it more than 55 years ago. It was performed for me by a man called John Sparrow. Now, do you remember that name? He was the warden of All Souls College, Oxford and a famous character, a great wit, and he wrote a number of terse verses, short poems. My favourite poem by him is only four lines long, and it's called Growing Old. And people of riper years like me listening to this will feel some sympathy with what he expresses in this short poem. I'm accustomed to my deafness, to my dentures I'm resigned. I can cope with my bifocals, but, oh dear, I miss my mind. <laughs> That's excellent. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here in the Fortune Theatre. And thank you to all our regular Purple people as well for tuning in and uh, joining us today. If you did love the show, please continue to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on social media at Something Rhymes on Twitter and Facebook or at Something Rhymes with on Instagram. And most importantly of all, please do email your questions through. It's purple at something else. Dot com, something without the G. Purple at something else.com. Oh, do join us next time we're here at the Fortune Theatre. It's going to be on the 19th of February. Yes. We will be live here. I think there are only a handful of seats left for that. But yes. we will be doing more live shows, we hope, as the months and years go by. Thank you, this wonderful audience, for being so friendly. Uh, after the show, I'm going to pop down for two minutes to return this pen. And I think <laughs> there are a couple of books still to sign, which I will do. You probably have to catch the I train back I have to back skedaddle, to... unfortunately. Because you're going back to Oxford I am with your daughter who's been out shopping. Did you yes. give her the credit card? Uh, no, but she has Apple Pay. It's even worse. What? <laughs> Apple, Apple Pay? Apple Pay. What is Apple Pay? Have you never used Apple Pay? Well, I remember when I was a boy, Apple Pie Beds. But what is Apple mm, Pie? That's from French. An appliée. That's when you would just fold up the blankets. It's when someone can't get out the sheets, yeah. right? Yeah. An appliée. So folded. Kind of Do you know anyway. why I love you so much? Why? Is I can say any word to you and you've got a wonderful story. So many things I'm going to take away from today is hearing from the lips of my own dear friend, Susie Dent, you've got a flagpole and it's enormous. <laughs> 
Something Rhymes with Purple is a something else and Sony Music Entertainment production produced by Harriet Wells and Nia Dio alongside Sam Hodges and Andrew Quick from Tilted for these live shows. Additional production from Chris Skinner, Jen Mystery, Teddy Riley and... He's got no thimble fumble. Where is he? <sighs> He's gully. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.